Chapel, Mason City. Does anybody need one? No? Okay. So Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24. Well, it's an understatement to say that we currently live in a world where many people seem to be profoundly confused, and particularly when it comes to human sexuality. In just a few decades, our culture has completely changed, distorted, redefined meanings and definitions of gender, family, love, sex, and marriage. A recurring question that arises in recent times is, who has the authority to define these matters? On July 15th, many of you know that there will be a show that takes place here in Mason City that celebrates individual sexual identities and preferences. This show will feature men who choose to dress up as women and behave like women. And as Americans, you know, we value people's free speech and their right to do things. That's what America's about. And I'm all for that. I'm all for allowing people to do what they want. That's what America is based on, unless what they're doing harms others. Personally, I do not believe in legislating morality. In other words, I don't think you can make laws to make people good. I mean, God doesn't do that. God gives you the choice to be, you know, bad or good. He gives you that choice. He gives you the freedom. I do support people's freedom to make their own choices within certain limits. However, it appears that the lines are being crossed more and more frequently. The upcoming drag show in Mason City claims to be family-friendly in its advertising. Now, that's a moral statement. When you say something is family-friendly, essentially you're saying it's good, so therefore you're making a moral statement. Now, I'm not here to you know, try to figure all this stuff out, but what strikes me when somebody makes a moral statement, I always say, who is the authority to decide what is good and bad? If somebody says this is good, who says so? Who says that this is good? That's a good question to answer or to think about, right? It's a matter of authority. What is the definition of good? Who defines good and who defines evil? Now, as a man of God who holds to the inerrancy of scriptures, I believe the ultimate authority is, of course, Jehovah, is God, is Jesus Christ, the creator of all things. As the creator of the universe and everything within it, he established what is good and what is evil. His, his word stands as the final authority on all matters, including the definition of what is family-friendly. I believe that. However, in 2023, I think it's crucial to acknowledge that not everybody holds to this perspective. Other individuals adhere to different moral authorities. Much of what this world operates today, much of the world operates under the belief that if whatever is right is for the, you know, if the individual, if it feels right to you, go ahead and do it. That's actually the moral authority of 2023, uh, by and large, is if, if it feels okay, you know, it can't be that bad, right? So you see the clash of perspectives, right? You have Christians that believe that there is a moral lawgiver who is the creator of all things, and then you have other groups of people that just don't adhere to that moral authority. I think it's important to recognize that because that's the issue. The issue is authority. And sometimes we forget that as Christians. We get engaged in, you know, kind of trying to fight against maybe the byproducts of what the real issue is. The real issue is it's an issue of authority. 
Those who consider the drag show family friendly perceive it as an opportunity for youth to be exposed to transgender individuals with the belief that it will reduce violence against the community, improve mental health among those who embrace that lifestyle, and it'll promote love and tolerance for all people and foster an all-inclusive open society. So as you can see, when they support stuff like this, they think that's why they say this is good is because this is how they view this. And those things, you know, I, I can actually align with some of those things as a Christian. I don't think there should be violence against anybody, right? So I align with some of those things. So there is common ground between Christians and the LGBTQ plus IA, uh, you know, community. There are some things like that that are in common. But we have to recognize that we answer to different authorities. Their moral authority is, is leading them to say this is good, this is family friendly, we need to get kids exposed to this so this becomes normalized. We have a different perspective as Christians. Those of us that reject the notion of this thing being family friendly, uh, family friendly, we hold to the belief that God deems this lifestyle sinful and that individuals involved in it are rebelling against God. Now, according to this perspective, since it's not considered good in God's eyes, we believe, and, and people that hold this view, would believe that children should not be exposed to this as if it is a positive thing. In this view, the celebration and glorification of sin can be detrimental to individuals, families, children, and society as a whole. Though people would say we live in very confusing times, it's not confusing at all. When you look at the real issue, the issue is the issue of authority. I say that to you to, to equip you. If you want to get engaged with the culture, you need to look at what the real issue is and not let the enemy get you sidetracked on other stuff. The real issue is the issue of authority. You and I surrender to the authority of Yahweh. We believe the Bible is the word of God. Not all Christians even believe the word is authoritative, by the way. But that's what we teach at this church is we believe that Yahweh, Jehovah, Jesus Christ, the creator of all things, also gave us his word, all 66 books. We believe every word of it in the original manuscripts is inspired by God. It's the inerrant word of God. We believe that. So this is our moral authority. So it's a difference between authority. I just say that so our heads are in the right place as we try to navigate culture in this day and age. Now, as a Christian who believes in the authority of God's word, celebrating sin is undoubtedly not family friendly. However, it is important to consider for a second, is everything that you allow your kids to watch family friendly? Is everything that your kids do on their tablet and on their devices that you allow them to have, is that all family friendly? Are the games you engage in, the conversations in your home, are all those things family friendly? And I don't bring that up to kind of excuse the other thing and say, oh, you know, we need to do that. I just bring this up to say, as a Christian, if you're surrendered to the authority of Christ, as you claim, it's pretty good to be consistent because people are pointing out the hypocrisy in Christians like never before. Lord, may you help us to keep consistency and to live consistent lives. Ultimately, it all boils down to the issue of, of authority. Whose authority are you submitted to? And I'm going to ask that question here today to all of us. It's rhetorical. Think about it while we're going through this message. Whose authority are you submitted to? Today, I'm not here to dictate how we should respond to the culture except to say you need to be like Jesus. And you say, well, how would Jesus respond? I'll say, if you ask that question, you're not in his word enough. 
Conversations like that are probably helpful. How should we respond to culture? Maybe Wednesday night at the men's prayer meeting, we'll talk about that a little bit. But that's not my purpose today. My purpose today is to challenge, exhort, and even caution us. As those who profess Jesus as our authority and believe in the authoritative nature of his word in all aspects of life, our conduct must align with that claim. In our passage today, we're going to spend a few moments talking about what that looks like in marriage. Specifically, we are going to delve into what the authoritative Word of God says about the wife's role of submission within marriage. If you will, keep your finger in Ephesians and turn to Genesis chapter 3, please. Genesis chapter 3, first book of the Bible. Genesis chapter 3, starting at verse 1, says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. You guys know the story of the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve had a perfect relationship with God until one day she's off in the garden and the serpent comes along and he beguiles her. Verse 4, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. By the way, that's what the devil does is he says, God said this? No. That's what the enemy does. He challenges the word of God. He did it to Eve. Verse 5, the devil goes on and he says, For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You'll be little gods. <laughs> and you'll know good and evil. You'll be your own moral authority. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a desirable tree to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Saddest day, the darkest day in human history. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves coverings. The first covenant church of fig leaf. Man-made religion. I got to do something about this sin and shame, so let me cover myself. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden for the first time, I would add there. Then the Lord God called to Adam, and he said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you you're naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she ate of the tree. She's the one that did it. Guys, when you blame your wives for everything, uh, your ancestor Adam started that when sin came into the world. So the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent. He deceived me, so then I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, you're cursed more than the cattle above every beast of the field on your belly. You shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. You shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. 
Then to Adam he said, because you've heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I command, of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face, for you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. This is the curse, is what this is known as. This is the result and the consequence of disobedience to God. Now, why is Christian God-honoring marriage so difficult? Well, let me read verse 16 to you, and it'll be on the screen in the ESV. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. You shall, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Let me read the NLT version to you. As both the ESV and the NLT, I believe, correctly interpret the Hebrew word that is used in this place. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth, and you're, you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Why is Christian marriage so difficult? There you have it. As a result of the curse that God pronounced upon the serpent, the ground, the woman, and the man, marriage is going to be difficult. Sin makes it difficult for the wife in the sense that she will find the constant desire to control her husband. Some do it subtly, others not so subtle. Some passive, some aggressive, some withhold love, others nag, some disengage, some check out, some constantly challenge, some constantly one-up their husband, some yell, some threaten, some complain, some have bad attitudes, some have ulterior motives. However it manifests itself, this is part of the curse that has come upon mankind in the Garden of Eden. And where it says your husband will rule over you, it means he'll do it forcefully. Now, men do the same sort of stuff as that long list I just read. Men do the same thing. They'll dominate their wives. When they're living out the curse, the woman's trying to control the man, manipulate, and the man is just dominating and domineering. He's yelling. He's forceful. Either that or he's doing the passive approach and he's disengaged and he's withholding love and all this stuff. And you say, well, I mean, goodness, this sounds like, I mean, I, I'm familiar with this stuff. You should be because it started in the Garden of Eden and this is part of the curse that God has pronounced on mankind. When you see these things in your marriage, you have to recognize and tell yourself, wait a minute, I'm acting out the curse here. And you can latch a hold of this phrase. I heard a pastor say it one time, and it's been helpful to me. He's like, we need to stay on top of the curse in our marriage. I don't recommend going around to your wife and be like, you're a curse. You know, I don't, don't do that. Just recognize it in yourself when you see that happening. Men, when you have the wisdom and the spiritual discernment to see this going on in your marriage, you need to adjust your behavior. We need to pause. We need to get in the Word. We need to get re-centered. We need to think about this. So God in His wisdom, He gives instructions in the Scriptures. Uh, he knows the curse. God knows what He you know, pronounced upon people. He knows how humans work. So then when He gives the instructions to marriage, you would think, oh, this is really important because God knows the difficulty in your marriage. God knows the difficulties that we have in marriage, and so his instructions then are essentially the antidote. The creator of all, with his authority, is saying, this is what you need in your marriage. You say, well, on whose authority? On the authority of the Word of God. 
In Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, he deals with husbands and wives. This starts in Ephesians 5, 21. So if you want to turn back to Ephesians. Ephesians 5.21, remember the kind of the precursor of this whole section. It's, he says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. When a Christian is walking as, uh, in love, walking in wisdom, walking in light, walking worthy of the calling, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They are, Christians are submissive one to another in the fear of the Lord. We all have a submissive attitude towards one another. We're all team players. We're all fulfilling our role and, and um, esteeming others greater than ourselves. That's Christian living. Now he goes on with that same thought, submitting to one another in the fear of God. And then verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head over the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Father in heaven, as we look into this passage today that is definitely controversial in our culture, Lord, would you give us grace and humility to approach your word? Help us understand, Lord, if we have a problem with what's in your word, that it's an issue of authority. And help us by your spirit, even though this is a very tough passage, to respond as you would have us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Understanding that God created marriage and designed a specific authority structure within it, it is important for wives to willingly submit themselves to their husbands as part of God's plan and instruction for marriage. That's the main point here. The outline's very simple. It's just three things. The command, the reason, the scope. Command to submit, the reason for submission, and the scope of submission. Verse 22, he starts off by saying, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And some have asked, why does he put the wives first? And it's clearly because wives need the most help. No, I'm just joking. You're supposed to laugh at that. Oh, my gosh. No. The reason that he, I borrowed that from another pastor. Nobody laughed at his when he did that either. Oh, my gosh. They're like getting ready to chuck the Bible at this guy. Well, the reason the wives come first, he's, he's carrying on that same thought from verse 21. In fact, in verse 22, the word submit doesn't even show up in the Greek. It would read like this, the wives to your own husbands. Because it's taking off on the fact that in verse 21, he said, submit one to another, wives to your own husbands. That's the idea there. That's why the wives come first. He's talking about this subject of submission. Now, I'm going to talk about first, I know this is, this is incredibly culturally not friendly, you know, since the feminist, you know, revolution, women's live, all these different things, there's been activists out there to just try to destroy, they, you know, this is, this is touchy, I get that. Um, but let's talk about this word submission for a little bit. What submission is not? Let's start with that. What it's not is kind of helpful to define a term, start, uh, you know, start with that. Submission is not about inferiority. That's one thing we have to understand right off the bat. It's not about inferiority. In fact, if you've been married for longer than a few months, you've realized that your wife is way more capable than you in a lot of things, if not almost everything. Any guy with his eyes open realizes that. If you haven't yet, I wonder how your marriage is doing. Probably not so good. Just guessing. Galatians 3.28 says there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. He's talking about the church 
Everybody is equal. Everybody is an image bearer of the Lord. Submission does not mean that a wife's voice, needs, opinions, desires, and well-being are disregarded or neglected. Any husband that neglects his wife in these areas is not very intelligent, and he's not pleasing the Lord. So that's what submission is not. Here's what submission is. We could go on about what it's not, but you get the idea. What submission is, the term means to arrange yourself under. It's a military term. Organize yourself under the leadership structure. That's what it has to do. It's to recognize that there is a legitimate authority over you and then subject yourself to it. When you take the English word apart, it's very instructive. You get the idea. Submission, right? You take that word apart. Submission. It has to do with submitting to the mission. God has a mission. Marriage. He's got roles for how it should work. And so submission means submitting to God's mission, submitting to God's authority, the one who's in, invented marriage. Now, so you could read it like this. You could, you could understand it like this. Submission in our context is the wife's free choice to place herself under the mission God has for marriage, under the authority of her husband, and to live joyfully and willingly in the role that God has designed for her. Now, Read Genesis 2 tonight for your homework, and it'll talk about, um, gals, what your, what your God-established role is. Essentially, the role of the wife in the husband's life is she's to be a helper to him. And as I said before, not inferior, not neglected in any way. She's called to bring to his life that which he could never do for himself. She's called to bring gifts and blessings and skills and aspects of life that he could never accomplish on his own. In fact, I'll put it like this. If God has so, in his grace, decided to give you marriage, you cannot fulfill that which God has called you to without your wife. That's something to understand. Based on whose authority? On his. Now, submission is a form of cooperation in reaching a shared goal. Now, let me give you a little bit of application. In order to be submitted to the mission, you have to know what the mission is, gals. And so this requires thoughtful, deliberate, regular communication with your husband. You have to sit down and you have to check in with him to say, where are we going? What are we doing? What's going on? And the husband will be doing these things too, but you have to have communication in a marriage to make sure that both of you are submitted to the mission. We know what happens to marriages I mean, when there's no communication. Eventually, people start doing their own thing, going this way, going that way. We bump into each other for a few minutes here and again. We both have our own lives. That's not a godly marriage. So to be submitted to the mission, you must, you must know what the mission is. And now he qualifies it a little bit more. Here's the extent. He says, to your own husbands. Now, here's why that's important. There is no blanket term in the Bible that says that women need to be submitted to men in general. That's never in the scriptures anywhere. Women are only to be submitted like this in this way to their own husbands. That's it. Now, he says a very important statement there at the end of it. He says, as to the Lord. Now, Paul's going to give some reasons. I think this is really gracious of God because when he gives this hard command, and, you know, let's not, let's not mess around here today. This is a hard command. We talked about the curse. We talked about this constant desire that we have. Women, uh, you know, gals, it's, this is hard. I recognize this. God recognizes this. And so he's going to give us reasons. And what he says here is he says, as to the Lord, that's the first reason. 
Let's talk about what this does not mean. What this does not mean is submit to your husband like you submit to the Lord. You never would submit to another human in the same way that you submit to God. God alone, you know, husbands, what this means is uh, your wife, you know, she shouldn't think of you as God. (laughs) You know, you're not her God, you know. Um, So it doesn't mean like. Now, some have twisted this meaning of this to something like this, where it says, as to the Lord. Some have twisted this to say this means I will submit to my husband so long as he's following the Lord. And that's not what it says either. This interpretation essentially makes the wife the authority and the judge over the husband's behavior. Essentially what this boils down to then would be a wife saying, I will submit to my husband so long as I like what he's doing. That's not what it's saying either. When a wife is living like that, that becomes exposed every time the husband makes the choice she doesn't like. What this does mean, where he says, as to the Lord, what this means, as to the Lord, wives, he means you submit to your husband as part of your obedience to Jesus. It's not ultimately about your husband, how godly or wise he is, how able. It's about your obedience to Jesus has nothing to do with whether or not your husband makes all the decisions the right way. You need to understand that the way that you submit to your husband reflects your obedience to Jesus. This is what Jesus is calling you to do, to be in the role that he's established for you to be in in marriage. Now, what this means then is when a wife fails to live this out, she's not only damaging the marriage, but she's living in disobedience to Jesus. No matter how spiritual she may think she is, something in her walk is terribly flawed. I want to stop for a second and speak to you single ladies. When you are looking for a man to date or dating or whatever it is, it's nice if he looks good and he's cute and he can pay the bills and he can do all these other things like that. And he's, but the one thing you have to be asking yourself is, can I submit my life to this man? I would say that's far more of an important trait, you know, because if you're going to be married to him forever, his ears are going to start drooping. Eventually he's going to get all wrinkled. You know what I mean? His, he's going to, you know, his, his teeth are going to fall out at dinner. You know, <laughs> say, oh, sorry. You know what I mean? And you're going to have to change his diaper maybe, you know. But you need to ask yourself, can I submit to this man's leadership? Because you have to recognize that the call to marriage on a female is huge. This is massively important when you're not living in a way that is submitted to your husband, to his authority. You're disobeying the Lord. This is a serious thing. So you have to be very careful of who you marry. If you can't respect him, and maybe, if, you know, and maybe you're the kind of gal that can't respect men in general. Maybe you look at men and you just say, I don't know, these guys are boneheads. There's no way that I could submit to these knuckleheads. Maybe God's given you the gift of celibacy. Maybe you need to stay single. And there's nothing wrong with that too. That's a gift from the Lord also. It takes all kinds. Now, Many problems arise in marriage when spouses are constantly wrangling for the leadership position unchecked. Typically, the one with the strongest personality assumes the lead 
The woman was not created to be the leader of the marriage. One pastor said, he goes, I don't care if you think you're Mr. Mom, you're not. <laughs> you're called the lead. Otherwise, you're displeasing the Lord. Marriages and families in which the wife is acting as the head, although by man's standards, they may be working. You might say, we don't fight. Things are fine. Ultimately, your marriage is not pleasing to the Lord if the man is not leading and you're not submitting and helping him lead, helping him in his position. This is how God, you say based on what authority? You say based on the word of God. It's not uncommon for Christian women to feel like they were thrust into leadership because the man refuses this responsibility. Although that's understandable, it does not make it right. God now gives two more reasons for the wife's submission, verse 23. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. So first of all, he says, for the husband is the head of the wife. This is reason number two. And Paul takes it here all the way back to creation. This is talking about headship. This is the doctrine of headship. In Genesis, we read, you know, we understand in Genesis, God created Adam from the dust. And then, so in chronological order, right, Adam came first, and then Eve came from his side. God caused him to go to sleep. It was the first, you know, surgery and uh, took a part of him and created woman from the man and brought him, brought the woman to the man to be a fit helper for him. This is God's design and creation. When God established them male and female, he gave them both roles. And he, at that point, because of the order of creation, Man is the head, woman came from man. And so that's Paul's reasoning here. He says a wife should be submitted to her husband's authority and leadership because of creation. Now, I like what one pastor says. He goes, it's not chauvinism, it's creationism. This is how God designed things. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 talks about it. He says, I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. There's authority and structure even within the Trinity. It says the head of Christ is God the Father. We see order and structure in the Trinity. This is how it works. God the Father is the authority over Christ the Son. Remember Christ, remember Jesus says, I only do those things which my Father tells me. Then Christ is the head of the man. The man is the head of the wife. And then they are heads of the children. Then the man is the head of the home. The woman is the helper. And the kids are to be in submission to the parents. That's the structure of the Christian home. You say, based on what authority? I say, based on the word of God. Although both are equal image bearers, men and women are created differently. Now, I brought a couple of pictures of naked men and women here today to show you how not. <laughs> Just kidding. But if I did, you would notice there is a difference between men and women. And if you haven't figured this out yet, they fit together. They complement one another. God has designed them differently to complement one another to fulfill his purpose. Some of you are just like, I can't believe he said that. I, this is crazy. No. So I, I'm just joking. I wasn't going to do it. I was going to bring different male and female chromosome and put that up there and say, did, did you
goes on to say, this is the second thing, as also Christ is head of the church. So this is the third reason. Marriage is a model of the relationship of Christ to the church. Marriage is a model of the relationship of Christ to the church. The church submits to Christ. Jesus is the head of the church. And then the church exists to uh, come under his authority. That's his illustration there. It's an easy to il illustration to understand. The wife's submission to the husband is to be like that of the, of the church to Christ, to be willing, to be joyful. The church is to fulfill Jesus' plan. Now, Jesus undoubtedly is the head of the church, um, but there are some people in this world that don't want to be under authority at all. They challenge Jesus' authority. They don't come under his authority. They wrestle with God their whole life until they do. In the same way, there are wives that simply don't want to be under authority. They don't want to be on the team and play their position. Solomon describes a woman that has that attitude in Proverbs 27, 15. He says, a continual dripping on a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. Have you heard a drip going in your house? You know, it gets annoying pretty quick. Because of the curse, if a woman does not die to self, humble herself, this is what will happen. This is what can happen in a marriage. Rather than being the greatest encouragement that she could be bringing out the best in the husband, she becomes the greatest hindrance to the work of God in their marriage. And it goes on to say, and he is the savior of the body. So I believe that there's debate about what, is, what Paul means here exactly, um, because the man's not the savior in the relationship. I think what he's talking about is the protective nature of the savior uh, in this aspect. So he's saying that the husband is the protector, the provider the guard over his wife. Notice these last three words right there, though, in that verse is of the body. Now, this is a great picture because this helps us understand submission. He uses the illustration of a human body. So submission has nothing to do with inferiority or whatsoever, but it has very much to do, like, say, the hand submitting to the head, right? Everything is needed in the body to accomplish the purpose, right? And the, and the hand must be submitted to the head, in order to receive the signal to do, you know, to, for things to work together. And so that's the idea of submission is if I've, if I've been created to be the hand or the arm or the mouth, you know, I need to be in my position and I need to be submitted to uh, where the signal is coming from. That's, that's the picture. That's the picture of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. We're the limbs of the church. We're all to be submitted to the head and to fulfill the purpose. No hint of inferiority here. The two are just different which is so interesting in our culture today that people are trying so desperately to convince one another that men can be women and women can be men. Last point, the scope of submission. Verse 24. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So he says, therefore, in light of these three reasons, uh, that submission is part of her obedience to Jesus, that the husband is head of the wife, back to creation, and as Christ is head of the church, as the marriage is the model of how Christ is the head of the church, the husband is the head of the home. In light of these things, therefore, he says, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, in everything needs to be clearly understood. Did, could Paul possibly mean in everything? 
Well, in Acts chapter 5, you see that the disciples were hauled in for preaching the gospel, essentially. And the religious authorities brought them in to try to silence them. You guys remember this? And he said, you cannot preach in the name of Jesus Christ anymore. And their response, I'm paraphrasing here, their response was, you need to decide whether we should obey you or obey God, right? And so essentially what they're saying is you're telling us not to preach, but God's telling us to preach. So tough luck, buddy, we're going to preach, right? So there is a time when we're to reject authority. And there's a good example right there. When if a husband is asking his wife to sin or disobey God in any way, you got, you got to obey the Lord and not your husband. Now, some other examples. No wife is to submit to abuse in any variety. And there are men out there that will twist the scriptures and manipulate your mind to get you to submit to abuse. A woman should never submit to the abuse of a man. If you're in an abusive relationship, you could be. I don't know statistics here. Well, this many people in a room, you could be. Or if you know somebody that is, uh, you should get away from that. You should separate. If you are in an abusive relationship, I want to encourage you today that you've probably thought that you should get out of it and you keep talking yourself out of it like it's not that bad, whatever else. You need to get help from a friend outside because you can't see clearly if you've been abused for a long period of time. You won't get yourself out of that. It'll result in you getting killed possibly, or damage greater. You need somebody to rescue you out of that. And so if you know somebody that's in an abusive relationship, you need to know that that person can't think clearly and they may need you to go get them out of it. Think about it. No wife is to submit to a husband's illegal or sinful activity. If your husband cheats on the taxes, you're not to submit to that. If your husband likes to break little laws here and again, driving laws, I don't know whatever they would be. You're not to submit to that. You don't submit to his illegal activity. No wife is to submit to a husband that is insane or mentally ill, incapacitated, can't make sound decisions. There are probably more. The point is there's limits to your submission. When he says in everything, he's obviously not talking about these sort of things. Not culturally accepted, hard to do because of the curse and because of sin, but this pleases the Lord. Maybe you're asking, how in the world do I do this? How in the world do I do this? Well, the truth is that some of you do this better than others. Some people are naturally passive and some are more uh, aggressive. Some are naturally submissive. Some are more independent. And so this is difficult for some. This is very difficult. And because of the curse, I understand. I recognize this is difficult for anybody. How you do this begins by acknowledging this is all a matter of authority. Whose authority are you under as a Christian? Are you going to submit to the culture's ideas of marriage? Are you going to submit to even your family's ideas of marriage if they're different, if, they, if they're contrary to the Bible? Are you going to submit to Hollywood's ideas of marriage? Where did you learn about marriage, most of you? You don't have to answer, but just think about it. Think about what you, how you approach your marriage as a wife. Where did you get this information from? Is it from the scriptures? Are you submitted to the word of God? Is God your authority? This is, this is the stuff you got to think about. 
So how do you do this? It starts by recognizing it's a matter of authority and realizing whose authority you are under as a Christian. If Christ is your authority, then you submit to him by obeying his word, which tells you to submit to your husband in all things. It means he's the leader. You make the choice to walk worthy of your calling, walk in love, walk as light in the Lord, walk in wisdom. You might be saying, but I, this is hard. Listen, I know it's hard. It's not an easy command. The men are, you know, we're getting to the men next week. <laughs> By the way, there's a lot, there are a lot more verses about men, <laughs> and I think rightfully so. <laughs> you know, women, you can tend to you just tell them something. They're wise enough to put it into practice. Men, we've got to have the whole section, uh, you know. <laughs> It's not an easy command. In many ways, women are more, you know, more spiritual, they're smarter, they're wiser, they're more capable than men in many ways. But listen, that's not the issue. You are called to bring all these wonderful things that you possess into your marriage as you come alongside your husband. You're to come aid the calling that God has on both of your lives, on his life. He's the leader, you're to come alongside of him and to help this man flourish in his calling with the Lord, to be a blessing to him, not to wrangle with him. In many ways, women are superior to men in many things, in the things that they do, but that is not the issue here. The issue is, is God has called you to perform a very important role, to fulfill a very important role in his marriages. I understand this is hard. In marriage, you have to watch your husband grow, make mistakes, make blunders, severely mess things up sometimes. At times, you don't respect him. You're not attracted to him. You're sick of him. Okay, whatever. So then what? Are you going to become a woman that becomes detached, bitter, manipulative, angry, disappointed, dissatisfied, or checked out, or constantly fantasizing about a life you don't have? How are you going to deal with this? Because let, let me tell you something about marriage if you haven't figured it out. It becomes, it, there's points that are really disappointing. And it's ugly at times. In fact, I come in a book to you called What Did You Expect by Paul David Tripp. He really gets to this. He says he loves it when couples come into his office that are about ready to divorce. He loves it because he says, oh, are you both ready to be done with yourselves, die to self, and start fulfilling the role that Christ has for your marriage? He says he loves it. When, I'm done with him. I can't even look at him. <laughs> now we're getting somewhere. Because you know why? Your fantasy of what you thought your husband was going to be and what your marriage was going to be, it's finally all crumbled and now it's no longer about you and it's about Jesus. That's a good place to be. Are you going to be obedient to Jesus and lovingly, joyfully, willingly submit to his mission? Or are you going to wander off the path and be about your own mission? It's a matter of authority. You need to ask yourself today, am I going to submit to the authority of God's word or not? This is hard, I understand, but you know what? You're going to find the greatest reward and the greatest fulfillment and blessing. If you've been married for any period of time, you'll testify. It's the greatest thing that could ever happen on this planet, in this life. It's the greatest thing that could ever happen. But at times, it's the, it's the ultimate challenge as well. You understand this. But God has given us instructions for this from his authority. This is hard, but I understand you'll find a great reward in it. 
You'll find great fulfillment and blessing. And another thing is, is when you meet the Lord face to face, he'll look at you and he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed three times to the Father. As he cried out, Luke recorded that he sweat drops of blood. He was agonizing with the Father. And he said, Father, if there be any way, let this cup pass from me. If there's any other way that men can be saved, let me not go to the cross. And then he finished every one of those prayers by saying, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. When you submit to your husband, you're being like Jesus in that sense of being submitted. Jesus submitted. It's not degrading. It's a beautiful thing. It shows humility. It shows that you're under the authority of the Lord. It shows that you trust that his plan is better than anyone that you could conceive of. It shows that you trust him. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. I'll leave you with this one thing. Look at verse 18 of Ephesians 5, please. It says, be not drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can't obey the commands in the Bible without being filled with the Holy Spirit. Say, how do I do this? I need to recognize it's a matter of authority. I need to understand carefully what the Bible says is the role of the husband, of the wife, and then I need to make sure that I'm being, being filled daily with the Holy Spirit in order to live these things out. Because if I don't, by noon I'll drift back into the old curse. So maybe that's a good thing today when we pray is maybe, you know, there are people, maybe you're here today, you say, I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit again. I need this. I've been running on empty. I don't know why I haven't been, doesn't matter why, but now's the time to ask. Now's the time to say, Lord, fill me with your goodness because I want to be your servant. Make me like you, Lord. Make me like you. You're a servant. Make me one too. And fill me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord. I want to be a blessing to you. I want to be a blessing to my husband. I want to be a blessing to the church, blessing to my community. And I need your help. Understanding that God created marriage and designed specific authority structure within it, it is important for wives to willingly submit to their husbands as part of God's plan and instruction for marriage. When you do this, you're pleasing God. You're really setting your marriage up to be the glorious, fulfilling, best relationship that you will ever know here on earth. But there is nothing as rotten as a marriage when the two are living as sinful individuals, ignoring God's command, wrangling for leadership. There's nothing as wonderful as a marriage when the two are living as one as God commands.